0: So as I mentioned, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Danny, I'm a pastor here. And I've been at Cornerstone since 2009. Uh, But in terms of Boston and Massachusetts, I was born here. So I've never left Massachusetts. I was born and raised right here. And a little bit about my family right now, I live with my wife Unji and our son Judah. So this past July, Unji and I celebrated 10 years of marriage. We hit a big, cool number. Thank you. And we went to Iceland together and saw the glaciers and had a good time to celebrate the big number. And we've been together since we were in college. So for those of you who are in college, you know, you just might find your your forever somebody. And Judah, he's a COVID baby. Uh, He just turned two years old this past May. So a little bit about our son, Judah. He's upstairs. Maybe you'll see him later today. He's a healthy, growing toddler. He's starting to speak in sentences, which is really fun. He already is a kind of a troll and a prankster. He loves like kind of pranking us. He's consumed more blueberries than I'm convinced anybody in this room has. So he's two years old. I'm 36. I promise you he's already eaten more blueberries than me in my life or any of you. He's starting to have really strong opinions and bartering with us. So for example, in the evening before dinner, he'll be like, he'll demand a snack. And then we'll say, no, you have to eat dinner. It's going to ruin your appetite. And he'll barter. He'll say, only one, only one. And we'll say, no, you need to have dinner. We'll give you one after. But he's not really good at numbers yet. So then after one, he'll go, only seven, only seven. So he's figuring it out, but he's learning how to barter. He's starting to fake cry, which is really fun. Not really. An interesting thing about Judah is he loves pineapples, although he's never eaten a pineapple before. I don't know why he likes them. Maybe because they're spiky. He's been the greatest gift of God to us and our family, and it's been an amazing experience that we super duper cherish. But there's actually a hidden side to the story and to you know the Instagram posts and, and the smiling pictures that I've been personally wrestling with for the past two years. And this hidden side, the, the really not too visible stories is, uh, has led me to currently be in a season of, of seeking help um, in therapy. In hope of restoration for just, you know, everything going on up in here. Um, my, my whole holistic welfare. What was hidden is the end of Unji's pregnancy, pretty much all of labor, labor and delivery, and then the first about half year of Judah's life were really, really traumatic for me. Um, and I have a lot of stories, but I can't tell them all here. But... The big part was, well, one of the most difficult parts to wrestle with was his, him being premature. He came a little early. And he had certain conditions, and that led him to not be able to eat very well. And he actually, in his first week of life, dropped down to only being four pounds. It was really, really tiny. That caused us to be hospitalized. So we, we got sent home. You know, it's kind of like the, you imagine from the movies and the pictures and from other family friends and and, and others who've had babies that, you know, you come home and you start your life together and you're so excited and you have the crib set up, but we got home and then, hey, you got to go straight back to the hospital. And the whole first week of his life, we were seeing doctors and having appointments every single day. So I told my therapists about my anxiety, that they were at the highest levels that they've ever been in my life, that I never let up, and I'm still feeling the after effects of that season. I'm still wounded. To a, to a certain degree. And something she said to me was different than any past therapist has told me before. She explained to me that we often think of anxiety as something that's rooted in the difficulty of the event. So something big and challenging and surprising or shocking or, or, or you know, something big happens and therefore you are anxious. But she was saying, of course that matters, but really the root of anxiety is, this might sound weird, but it's knowledge. When we lack knowledge, especially knowledge attached to one of those big, crazy, important, scary things, that's where anxiety really, really starts to take root and grow and take a hold of you. So simple example was, let's just say money. You're always anxious about money. Often that anxiety around money comes from the lack of knowledge about whether you'll be financially secure. Right? So let's say you were to be able to take a time machine and watch your life from, from now all the way to retirement. And you saw... The guarantee that you will have a stable job, a growing income, that you end up having so much money that you save, you invest in retirement accounts, and and you go on vacations, and you have no issue ever paying rent, money is never an issue, and you retire at 65, you play golf, and go on trips for the rest of your life into the sunset. You wouldn't be anxious if you had that guarantee, why would you worry about financial security? So pretty straightforward, right? I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. If we have certainty, if we have answers to the questions, if we know the outcome of the story, it calms our anxiousness. On the other hand, if there are gaps, if we lack knowledge of the things that really are important to us and matter to us right now, our anxiety grows. The beginning of Judah's life for me was exactly that. It was full of anxiety because I had so much lack of knowledge of how he was doing, what would happen to him. I constantly had these questions revolving on my mind that was wearing me down and, like, chipping me away as a human, I feel. Things like, is he going to be okay? Like, how long is this going to last? Like, is there going to be permanence to some of these conditions? Like, you know, just what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's, like, the lack of knowledge. And when there are big questions, leaving big gaps of knowledge in our minds, there are big gaps for anxiety to fill in. You remember in in high school, or I don't know if it's high school, or middle school science, when you learn about gas, and how gas will always fill the volume of the container. Anxiety is like that for a lot of us. Bigger gaps of knowledge create a big container, and it's going to fill it. Anxiety fills the gaps of its container. It will spread and fill our minds and our being. And so this has led me on a journey of healing, and particularly by realizing that God it gives us so much, so much that we need to be on the path of restoration. And so my thought process has been, okay, if that's true, if greater gaps of knowledge allow for more room for anxiety to spread and to grow, what if we filled the gaps? Right? What if there were no gaps for anxiety to fill the volume of the container? What if I spent my energy focusing on what I know instead of what I don't? And what if I spent my energy not only focusing on what I know, but things that I know with absolute 100% certainty? And what if I didn't only focus on what I know with absolute 100% certainty, but things that I know with certainty that are truth directly from God? If I truly believe that this Jesus we're singing about is divine and holy and be God, if he said something to me, then I can believe it. What if I focused on that? So this has been the crux and the pivot point for me in my path of restoration. It's helped become a part of the remedy that God is using me uh, using in my journey today and what I hope will be helpful for you. See, I believe there's an invitation from God for us to anchor ourselves in what we know. And this is what I believe is a road to becoming worry-free, which is the title of our new sermon series that we'll be in for three weeks. So in these three weeks, we're preaching about our anxiety and how as Christians we can have freedom freedom from oppressive worry and stress and anxiety. See scripture never promises us easy life, right? We all know that. But it does promise us that we can be unshaken because of the rock solid foundation that God can be for us for us to stand upon. And scripture does provide for us what we need to know about God and about ourselves to be able to stand. And what I would love to do these weeks is fill the volume of the container of our minds with truth. Things that you and I know to be 100% true. That we have certainty about from his holy word. And I believe this can be what gives us freedom to be worry free. So today we're going to start in Matthew 6. Matthew 6. In the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus Christ himself will directly address our worry. So starting from verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or sow away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Did I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire... of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me ask you, if you're not already thinking about it, what's the greatest worry in your life right now, today? What's stressing you out the most? What do you have the most questions about that's filling the container? What are you anxious about today in this season of your life? I don't know. But I assume, at least for big percentages of us, maybe it's career oriented. That makes sense at our life stage. Whether it's school or the program that you're in or your job currently. Whether or not you'll be promoted, what your salary is, the change of your title. Maybe some of you, it's the entrance exam that you're studying for and doing practice exams over and over. Or applications to where you want to go next. Personal statements and recommendations and letters of all this. I imagine for many of us, it's either or also relationship-oriented. Friends and community. Maybe romantic relationships, dating, engagement, marriage. Maybe it's family stuff. All of us have family stuff. Parents, siblings, children. Maybe for many of us, it's health or well-being. Our own or the people we love. Not just physical health. I'm sure there's physical health here. But maybe spiritual health. Emotional mental health and well-being. All of these things, I imagine, you lack some sort of knowledge or certainty in it. We don't have a time machine. We can't see into the future. So maybe you're wrestling with thoughts like, I don't know of all the effort. So ever since I was in middle school, my plan was to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. What if I don't get in? What if my scores are terrible? And I just, what am I going to do when I start over? Maybe for some of you, your, your, your dad or your mom or your brother is, is not a believer and you've been praying for them for 10, 15, 20 years, like what, what am I going to do if they never come to faith? I don't know if my health issues will, all, all, will ever resolve, maybe you're thinking, or, or my friends. What am I going to do with my family history of X, Y, and Z? We don't know. But what we can do is start our practice, our spiritual practice of filling up the container of what we do know. And so firstly... What we know from Jesus himself is that you are God's most valuable creation in all the universe. What we know is that you, you, all of you, have inestimable, immeasurable, incalculable worth as God's child made in his image. So reread verse 26 with me, right? He says this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I think it's really interesting that Jesus uses the example of birds. uh, Theologically and personally. On a personal side, I hate birds. Anybody hate birds? Birds are disgusting. They're always flying over your head. You're convinced you're going to get pooped on. You know, pigeons carry disease. If you go to the beach, you have to fight ten seagulls. They're going to fly off with your Doritos. Like, birds are the worst. If you have pet birds, I love birds. I'm so sorry. But let's say outside birds are disgusting. Ugh. But actually, in Jesus' day, the relationship with birds was similar. Nobody would have a bird as a pet. Because birds were actually considered unclean to Jewish people. If you don't do it now, but later if you're curious, you're probably not. If you read Leviticus 11, it's a long list of the birds that are unclean that you are not to touch, go near, or eat. Uh, Therefore, you will be unclean. You have to do all the things of ceremonial cleanliness. You don't touch them. You don't go near them. There are no household pets for Jews. And yet, the unclean, disgusting animal, Jesus uses them as the example of something valuable enough that God provides for everything that they need. And he even mentions that they don't survive because they work. He says that specifically, they don't sow or reap or sow away in barns. They survive because of the provision of their maker. See, God cares for and provides perfectly for the needs of birds, the unclean animal. And so this next sentence is not to be read Softly, I, or not soft, I guess we should read it softly and tenderly. I mean, like, as if it's a pass-by verse. When Jesus Christ says, are you not much more valuable than they? I wasn't there. You weren't there. Nobody who's alive today was there when Jesus said this. The only thing I can do is to do my best with the, with the skills that my seminary equipped me with. And with prayer to assume how Jesus said this. And based upon my doing my best to understand the context and the consistency of who Jesus was, I don't think he was like, are you not much more valuable than the birds? I think sometimes we read, the, read it like this. Because of the translation issues. Like even later he says, you of little faith. I don't think he's saying like, oh my gosh, like have some faith people. I really don't, I wasn't there. I can't prove it. But based upon my prayer and my study, I don't think he said it that way. The way that I think he said it was, are you not much more valuable than the birds? I just imagine Jesus, like, just his heart just coming through that sentence it's rhetorical. He's not asking anything. He's making a statement. The point is, you are way, way more valuable than them. Human beings are God's prized and beloved. That's you. That's all of us. And so maybe we're constantly worried about our educational debt. Oh my goodness, like I, I did this and then I went to grad school after. Like, how, how am I going to be paying off my my loans, like, I'm going to be drowning in them. Am I ever going to get a job that will, like, what's my monthly going to look like? Or, or maybe, you know, you're just stressed about it. And I imagine the more anxiety you have on it, the more you think about that number, I imagine the number just feels bigger and bigger. It looms over you, scary, uh, creating more anxious stress, filling the volume of the container. Maybe your anxiety revolves, like me, around the, the, the well-being of your children, their futures, Are they going to get bullied in school and made fun of? Or, you know, the world is becoming so crazy. Like, are they? is there even going to be an earth that's not like a thousand degrees by the time he grows up? Like, are they going to have good influences and friends? What if they have a bad school system? And like, will they have good opportunity? I can only imagine the more we look at the world and the news around us, the anxiety of our children's welfare only grows and creates more anxiety. But what if we weren't so intently looking at those things that we don't know? And we filled the gap with the knowledge that even something like unclean birds never lack a thing. And you, on the contrary, versus birds, have inestimable worth in God's eyes. I don't know the outcome of all of our lives, but I know how He feels about you. I hope you know how He feels about you too. I hope we hear the statement he's making, not the question he's really asking. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? See, God cares about your life intimately and will do what's best for you regarding your career, your family, your friendship or romantic relationships, your your wholeness, your everything. And so the first thing we know with certainty and assurance is that you are God's most valuable creation. The second thing we know is that God will provide what is best for you. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, Jesus tells us directly, we don't have to worry. He says the flowers are just more in splendor than King Solomon, right? He's the, the rich, amazing, splendor king, and that the flowers are just better than him. He will have, and, and then he says he will much more clothe you. Essentially, he will provide for you abundantly. His outpour of love and provision for you as his beloved, beloved child is probably, I would bet all my life savings on it, greater than you would assume for yourself. Because he cares for you that much. When I was growing up, uh, my parents, they, we owned a small business uh, uh, that never did well. Uh, eventually we had to sell it and it just never did well. And so you can imagine at my house, the talks that we had about money and I was this little kid growing up in that environment and therefore... I was always stressed. It was always an urgent and scary topic. And so it's not surprising that I grew up as a kid and then an adult who was overly frugal and way more interested in saving than in spending. When I was in elementary school, when I got birthday money or Christmas or whatever money, I put it into a piggy bank. I didn't go to Toys R Us and buy or whatever a new game or a new toy. I saved it. I was always afraid. And so it's not a surprise that I grew up into an adult. I became all about bare minimum minimum. And anything beyond that's just excess and wasteful and stupid. Like I would just judge, ah, oh, why would I ever spend a dollar on that? That's dumb. I, you know, I'm that type of I became that type of person. So, like, let's take clothes, for example. If you buy clothes regularly, that's normal. For me, there's only one day of the year that's appropriate to buy clothes. You know what that day is? Black Friday. Every other day is a waste of the year. If I'm, it's February, I'm like, oh, no, I need a new shirt. Ah, November's not that far. I just wait till November. My sister would force buy me clothes and cut off the tags and throw away the receipt before she got home because she knows I would return them. I penny pinched to the extreme degree. When I became a dad, everything changed. I mentioned that Judah has eaten more blueberries than me or all of you, right? Most of those blueberries have been Organic. $2 more than the regular. <laughs> Who have I become, right? Like, I, I, would have, I would have judged, I mean, not would have, I did. I was like, I don't think be organic. Like, this is all a scam. They probably have pesticides too. You're not going to fool me with a $2 markup. Judah eats organic blueberries. Ooh, it's crazy. Ever since Judah was born, I've changed the way that I looked at our household products. If you walked into my bathroom, you came over to my house to hang out, you went to the bathroom, you went to wash your hands, if it were up to me before, you would have found a pump bottle with a fish on it, or with honey and milk on it, or a green bar that said Irish Spring. Today, it's like something, something free and clear, third party tested, safe on animals, and like $7 as opposed to $2 at CVS. You know what my policy was for doing work on my car before Judah came? was failing inspection. Why would you waste money getting oil changes at <laughs> 3,000 miles? You wait it out. Go to 4,000. One time I failed inspection because my tires were so bald that he was like, dude, I can't even let, like, this is, this is irresponsible. And you know, like, uh, you know, Tokyo Drift? I did that unintentionally. <laughs> I, I didn't pull an e-brake. It was just turning. The, wheel, the tires were so bald. And so what I would do or what I did that time when I failed inspection went straight to Costco it's like, hey, what do you, like I have a blah 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 model, and he's like, okay, well we have. I stop there. Don't tell me about what you have. Just give me what you have cheapest. We we'll put those on and we're we'll gonna we'll go home on my merry way. Last month, I bought tires. You can go look at them later. I have a black Hyundai Santa Fe. It's right out there. Go look at this. I went on Costco online and for the first time in my life, I scrolled down, because if you're gonna get the cheapest, it's lowest to highest pricing first. Right? Why would you ever scroll down? You just click the first one. I went to the middle. I bought premium tires. I couldn't believe it. Why? There's precious cargo in the vehicle. When I walk around Target now, I'm not just there for the bare necessities. I go to the toy aisle. And I look at I wonder what Judah would like. Whether it be all these silly things, big or small. I was never asked to do this. He's starting to speak in sentences, but he's not there yet. Appa, buy me organic blueberries. Appa, do you know that this has chemicals in it that are not good for children my age? No, I was never told to do these things. He doesn't know what tire, or care what tires I got. I wasn't influenced by a mom blogger on Instagram. They didn't get me yet. Unji didn't say, hey, I really think we should be more responsible. We didn't have that conversation. Nothing influenced me from the outside. The only thing that changed was I became a dad, and now I have a beloved son. I want to do this. I would never be caught dead spending a penny on clothes outside of Black Friday, but now I'm paying like double the price of the tires I used to get for my car because I want to. I want him to have the healthiest pesticide-free food. I want to make sure there are no chemicals that are unnecessary in his shower. I want to feel safe in the car. I want him to have a toy that he doesn't need. We have so many hand-me-down toys in our living room. He doesn't need more. He can play with a cardboard box and be entertained. What am I doing in Target spending 30 bucks on another toy? I want to do this. I'm a human who one day will be really selfish and make mistakes to my son. I'm imperfect. I will be selfish to him one day, multiple times. But I still love him this way. So contrast that. With God, who all of us, I think, would believe that He's perfect, that His divinity makes it impossible outside of His nature to make a mistake, that He is perfectly loving, that it's unconditional regardless of what we've done. How much more would He want what's best for you? It's got to make us read this verse differently. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire will he not much more clothe you It is God's nature his very essence and being to want what's best for you He already wants it It may not be in the means or the timing or the method of course and that's a you know something that's not easy for us to work through but that's what we work through in this Christian faith but it's always the best you don't have to convince him or change his mind he's not getting influenced by outside sources he's already there he will always be there so what I'm hoping for Today, in response to this message, this week, but even in the series, and I hope beyond. I really do hope beyond. You know, we we move on to different new sermon series for for obvious and good reasons. But I hope that at least this part stays with you in your walk of faith forever. That you would practice filling your minds, like packing it, full, your, your thoughts just full of direct teachings that you know from God are true. That there wouldn't be huge gaps of knowledge for the anxiety to fill the container, but that you would pack it full so that there's not much room for anxiety to grow. That you would fill your mind that with the knowledge and belief that Jesus himself said it and you believe him, that he'll provide for you perfectly, more than you would even realize. And then you would ask for the grace, Lord, I believe that. It's not always in the way and the timing. I wish you would do it this way or faster, but I still believe it. And just asking for grace, for strength in that area. Speak truths you know about God into your anxieties. Maybe it's one of the anxieties I talked about today. Family, friends, you know, schooling and your future and money and whatever, health. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's this passage that you can speak into it. Maybe it's a different one. There's obviously plenty of truth that we know from scripture, whatever it may be, I hope that what can stick with us in this long journey of faith is to be able to speak into our minds and our hearts regularly the truths that we know with certainty and allow that truth to be what sets your feet on solid and firm, firm ground. See, sometimes in life, we have really big gaps of knowledge. And many times, our first instinct is not going to be to do what I just said. me, Me neither. I've already been on this road. I'm still growing in it. We won't jump to filling the gaps with biblical truth. Sometimes anxiety just fills the volume of the container very quickly. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you have been and you know the feeling or you will be soon or eventually. In closing, I want to read a passage of scripture as our proof, as our assurance, as our security, as our foundation. And if you believe these words, I trust that the Lord will minister to you through them. And get you to that place of that certainty and assurance. And I hope that if in the future you're ever there again, that you turn back to the scripture. And it keeps pulling you back to what you know to be true. This is the end of Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Let's just stop there for a second. If you need proof, if you are a sinner saved by grace, if one day somebody preached to you that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the redemption of our sins, he died on the cross, he gave up his life on Easter, or a resurrection Sunday, he rose from the grave, and now you are fully Redeemed, if you believe that whole story. Ready? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. You are God's most valuable creation. And he will provide for you more than you'll even ask for. In this journey of becoming worry-free, I'd love, I'd love for us to build the spiritual discipline of filling our minds with what we know and allowing that to become the foundation that we stand upon the rest of our lives. So let's do that now together as we pray. Gracious God, um, help us to understand your love for us just a little bit more today. Help us to understand its unconditionality a little bit more. Help us to understand its permanence a little bit more. Help us to understand its, just its power and its breadth and width. And height a little bit more. And at the same time, would you in tandem with that, help us to understand our value to you a little bit more. And I pray you fill our minds. Fill our hearts, our emotions, our feelings. Fill our thoughts with truth. And allow that to overcome and soften and calm and quiet. Maybe for some of us to silence our anxiety, our worry, our stress. Lord, you have a gift for us. You are not wrestling us into submission. You're offering us a gift. And we want to rest and you being our loving father, whose nature, whose very nature it is to love us so much that you always want and do what is best for us and for our future and for our eternity. You have proven that to us in the sending of your son, in his perfect and obedient life, in his death and his resurrection, in his ascension, and currently His intercession for us at your right hand. When we are not in that place, counsel and guide us into it gently. Give us the endurance and strength when we wish you would answer our prayers a little differently or a little quicker. And just be our everything, Lord, that we need.